Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 321 of the podcast. It's October 16th, 2018. My guest today is Mark Hamill. He is a partner and COO with the Murley Group, a lean consultancy. Mark is also a two-time recipient of the Shingo Research and Professional Publication Award for his books, The Kaizen Event Fieldbook, and his most recent book, Lean Math, which is the main subject of this episode. I hope you enjoy the discussion. It's about people as much as it is about math. So if you'd like to find links for how to find Mark online or on social media, to find a link to buy his books through Amazon, you can do so. You can find that at leanblog.org slash three, two, one. Thanks for listening. Well, Mark, hi. Thank you for joining us here on the podcast. How are you today? I am doing really well, Mark. Thanks for having me. This is a great opportunity to chat with you. I haven't seen you for a while. Yeah, well, it's, it's good to talk, and I'm, I'm glad we'll be able to share this conversation uh, with the listeners here. And, you know, I'm going to put you on the spot and, and ask you to introduce yourself um, and talk about, uh, you know, some of your uh, career and background. And I always like to ask people, you know, how did you first get introduced to Lean? How did this become something that's um, been you know, a real passion and a, a commitment of yours? All right. That's a great question. And as you know, I, I don't love talking about myself, so hopefully this won't sound terrible, but uh, so presently, I'm the partner and COO at the Murley Group, and we're a lean consultancy. I've been um, working uh, as a consultant for 14 years, and before that, I had 19 years in private industry. And you know, about oh, about four years into my private life, or I'd say private industry, uh, is when I was exposed to lean, and that was. Actually, to, to start with, I was, I was working at Arthur Anderson, and they started training me in that. And realistically, I didn't see, you know, a, an accountant or an auditor um, convincing a manufacturing VP to let me coach them on setup reduction. Um, <laughs> didn't seem to make a lot of sense. And, oh, by the way, for a lot of money per hour. Um, so after making manager, I ended up uh, moving on to a medium-sized manufacturing company. And shortly thereafter, you know, as I was proposing uh, some, some ways to reduce cost, um, specifically, you know, through lean, um, that's kind of where the doors open. And, and initially, I didn't think the senior leaders would, you know, really entertain that. Somehow, by, by hook and by crook, uh, quite frankly, I got uh, Art Byrne to come speak to the senior leaders. And um, somehow, he, uh, he convinced them. And the executives said, hey, yeah, we're going to do this. Not, I'm pretty sure they didn't know what they were doing. Um, and they said, Mark, we'd like you to, uh, to lead that. It's, you know, essentially as the lean support office or Kaizen promotion office guy. And uh, it was perhaps the, uh, one of the most exciting times in my life. I was, you know, super uh, stoked to be, be doing this. And at the same time, like many things that, you know, would, will yield – um, perhaps great things or terrible disasters. I was, I was scared. And so, so what I ended up doing was um, pulling in um, a consultant, a sensei to help us. And uh, after, you know, running that for several years and having some significant improvements. And I must say, 
you know, we're really good at implementation. We perhaps we're not that good at transformation. That's something that came along with uh, later experience and I'd say lean maturity. But uh, that was that was my my first role in that. And then there were more senior operation roles, you know, plan manager, product center director, VP of ops, uh, COO, that, that, that type of thing. Well, and so uh, if you can elaborate on uh, Art a little bit, I'll ask you to talk about somebody else then. How's that? Um, Art, sure. you know, sure. Art was uh, a guest on episode uh, 158 of uh, the podcast series back in 2012. We talked about his book, The Lean Turnaround. And for, you know, for people who aren't familiar with, with Art and, you know, his role as a CEO, I mean, how, how would you describe Art or his uh, credibility to come in and, and talk with executives as much as you recall that discussion. Yeah, so he's he was probably the biggest lean scion around, uh, certainly from an American standpoint. Um, he was the, essentially I think he was the group president at Danaher that brought in the Shingojitsu consultants. And, that, and that's really, you know, in, in Bloomfield, Connecticut, that's really the beachhead, if you will, uh, for for lean uh, within the U.S. and he certainly saw the, you know, the the benefit. He took that um, to Wiremold, where he is the CEO, and basically transformed that business. And that that was the place. So the headquarters where I worked at was in Simsbury, Connecticut, not too far away. But that was that was the mecca, and the mecca was was very close. You know, we went to West Hartford, uh, Connecticut, more than a few times. And, you know, I just lean oozed out of his pores. <laughs> you know, he is, he is without a doubt, probably the most engaged CEO from a lean perspective. He was the guy who did most of the, the training, uh, facilitated Kaizen events. I shouldn't say most of the training, but he did a lot of the initial training and actually facilitated Kaizen events. And, you know, turned the, turned the organization upside down uh, in a good way. And yeah. as seriously mentored and and shepherd the whole transformation, which is why you know Wiremold was so darn uh, successful, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah, and and Art's been very influential. I think it's fair to say uh, with with a lot of executives who, you know, might otherwise, uh, you know, unfortunately think of Lean as being you know some technical methods that you implement. And, and, and maybe I ask you to elaborate, you talked about implementation versus transformation. Uh, you know, an executive might say, oh, well, that lean stuff, that's for engineers, that's for uh, the plant floor, maybe for the plant managers, here's tools and tactics for them, you know, versus Art framing it as, uh, you know, as, as, as he and some other co-authors uh, made the case in their book, The Lean Strategy, that this is something that can be very transformational for the business. So I'm, I'm curious to hear maybe some more of your thoughts on that implementation right. transformation. Right. Yeah. So when I first started, you know, it was mid nineties and, you know, Kaizen, I, I ended up being named the Kaizen manager. So what did I do first? Well, I went out and I bought the book with Kaizen in the title by Masaki Amai. And I'm like, uh -huh. Oh yeah, this is good stuff. Frankly, I thought it was one of the most boring reads I've ever had. <laughs> but, you know, when applying this stuff, this was super exciting, super dynamic. And the improvements uh, that were yielded were, you know, it was like, you know, manna falling from the sky, you know, 40%, 50% productivity improvements, you know, compressing 
floor space requirements by gigantic numbers, reducing lead times by 80%, that type of stuff. Um, so we had, you know, we had super, super great results, but, you know, with implementation, you know, we're doing stuff, we're applying the tools, you know, we weren't necessarily developing the capability or changing the way people were thinking within the organization. So sustainability was, you know, uncertain for sure. And then we had, you know, I think it was 98 or so, um, Rother and Shook wrote the book, uh, Learning to See, right? So, you know, I kind of joke about that. So Rother and Shook came down from, you know, Moses came down from Mount Sinai, which is located somewhere around Cambridge, Mass, where LAI is. And uh, they presented lean thinking, uh, uh, learning to see, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. And I went like, oh my gosh, this is, this is incredible. So it was actually, you know, going from kind of tool-based Kaizen to system-based Kaizen. So we understand the system in the context of value streams and, you know, the whole notion of flow and pull and, and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, that, that made it more holistic yet, you know, so within that, we ended up having more sustainable improvements rather than this kind of, you know, Cracker Jack, popcorn type of drive-by Kaizen stuff. Um, but it still wasn't necessarily transformative in nature. We still weren't developing people's capabilities around problem solving and continuous improvement orientation. Therefore, um, I would say we were, you know, we weren't quite at the transformation stage. And I think, you know, folks like, um, Art Burns certainly saw that and understood that. And, um, you know, they went beyond, even though, even though Art is certainly a, you know, a supporter, a rabid supporter of Kaizen, he certainly grasped the need for the kind of the strategic uh, aspect and not only strategy, not only strategy deployment, but the significant engagement and developing of the people within the organization. And that's, that's really the combination of all those things are really the game changer. Yeah. Uh, so it took, it certainly took me, you know, years to kind of go through that and cycle through that and, and learn it. And, um, you know, I just, I think a lot of more mature lean thinkers have, you know, they got, they got the scar tissue and they got the bruises <laughs> and, and all that kind of thing, which is how you learn. Right. You know, right. especially as a consultant, I, you know, usually start with, Hey, I've been doing this a long time. You know, I've screwed up a lot of stuff and um, I'm going to hopefully help you not screw up some of that stuff because I'm going to share, you know, what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I want to, um, you know, get to your more recent book, uh, Lean Math. But, you know, since you mentioned Kaizen and uh, I'll say it for you if it makes you uncomfortable, but, uh, <laughs> you know, say to the audience, you know, Mark Hamill is a two-time recipient of, uh, the Shingo Research and Professional Publication Award, um, not just for the book uh, Lean Math, but for the earlier book, uh, the Kaizen Event Field Book. And so I, I was wondering, you know, if, if you could talk a little bit around, you know, the idea of of Kaizen, where a lot of what Amai was saying, not exclusively, was, you know, relatively small PDCA, frontline driven, you know, identify small problems, and, and, and solve them. And I think, you know, at least for a while in the U.S., the Kaizen event of the classic mm-hmm. Jiu-Jitsu four to five day uh, event was, uh, became very, very popular. And, 
you know, I, I, I would at least try to make the case that there's, there's room for both depending on the situation that both done well can develop people in addition right. to uh, achieving organizational goals. So, I mean, I, I'm curious to hear some of your thoughts on, you know, combining yeah. Kaizen at, you know, kind of a daily level Kaizen events. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So Kaizen events as we, you know, typically know them are really Kaikaku, right? So large scale change and certainly, you know, most, and, and, and it's interesting because Conan Secker, you know, kind of talks about the, the same thing, you know, and his, his point is he won't even bring up daily Kaizen or kind of this notion of, you know, small incremental improvements until a couple of years into an effort where they're applying uh, kind of these large scale Kaizen events. Um, and the reason being is that uh, many executives would go, okay, so you're telling me I don't have to allocate, you know, eight, 12 plus folks. I don't have to pay a sensei. I don't have to disrupt my operations for, you know, a week. And all this stuff will just kind of magically happen through this daily Kaizen. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're telling me? If that's the case, I choose just to do daily Kaizen. Wow. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is without the capability within the organization, it's not going to happen successfully. And certainly without the, the ecosystem and here largely around the visual management and the standard work and the leader standard work and all that type of stuff, people are not going to be able to identify the gaps between current condition and target condition or standard, and therefore are not going to really identify the opportunities. And they're not going to be able to prioritize those in the context of their, of their team's visual process performance, you know, board, their huddle board, their stand-up board and all that type of stuff. So, it's dangerous to kind of jump there without developing the capability and not, and without the ecosystem. Uh, so often we start with Kaizen events because you can have one or two folks who know what they're doing and they can kind of facilitate that. But, you know, like we said, that is not transformative in nature. You, you eventually got to do both. It's not an either or you have to be doing uh, daily, you know, ultimately daily Kaizen through things like quality circles or, uh, and or suggestion systems and so on and so forth. So mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a both and, and certainly the mix of activities are going to change. You know, in the very beginning, you're going to probably be doing, typically, you're going to be doing, you know, some value stream analysis events and you're going to be doing big Kaizen events. But later, the mix is going to be that, but it's going to be predominantly, hopefully, the daily activities. Mm -hmm. That's how, that's how you're going to engage everybody in the organization, their hearts and their minds. And that's, you know, as Toyota says, you know, we don't build cars, we build people. Right. Uh, that's where the, that's where the capability development comes in. And there's, you know, it's, and it's, it's learning. It's also having a sense of ownership of the business um, and, and learning how to, how to solve problems so that they can apply that more themselves and teach others. Yeah. Well, and, you know, if, uh, if I believe anything, it's that there's no one right way, um, you know, for right. an organization to go about this. It's interesting to hear the argument I, I can, you know, that George Koenigsegger was making. I, I can understand the point, I, you know, some organizations may have either such a lack of stability or might be in such a chaos situation where they really do need heavy lifting, large scale 
you know, as you say, kaikaku, another Japanese word there, more radical change, because otherwise, um, you know, I've, I've butchered the, uh, the old cliche or said, like, you might be 5 sing the chairs on the Titanic, mm-hmm. right. 5 sing the deck chairs. Who cares how well organized those deck chairs are? Um, and I've heard others make the argument, and I've made this argument at times where if an organization is already sort of, you know, doing fine and is maybe trying to go from good to great, that starting with the smaller scale Kaizen can be a great way back to your point of learning how to solve problems, to build capabilities, to then maybe more effectively solve some of the bigger challenges. Right. Um, I, I think either way, it's an and discussion as opposed to yeah. an or. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, George is, uh, George Conan-Secker is kind of on the extreme of I love Kaizen events. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's, it's good from the standpoint of having the conversation. Here's, here's one end of the continuum. And then there's other folks at the other end of the continuum. In fact, I knew this gentleman who said, you know, he was in the healthcare industry in the Northwest. He's like, you know, we tried it and it did not work. You know, we just end up ticking people off. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't feel engaged. They didn't feel empowered. They didn't feel successful and so on and so forth. Now you can get into, well, how well was it applied, right? right. Um, how well was it coached? But certainly that's the other end of the continuum. And, you know, that, which is why, you know, and I'm, I'm not necessarily this big certification guy or whatever, but mm-hmm. certainly if you take a look at the Shingo model, it is pretty generic and it's based upon principles and they are relatively indifferent on how you get there, what you call it. And I think that's the way ultimately it should be. Mm-hmm. There's, there's such a danger of doing the, you know, the, the, the recipe type of approach, right? I do a little of this, I do a little of that and presto, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's maybe a middle ground where, you know, the subtitle of the Kaizen event field book talks about, you know, foundation framework and standard work for effective events. And so I imagine that there's, there's room for uh, frameworks that doesn't lead to cookbook Kaizen events. You might say every event, every situation is unique, right? You can, you can have helpful structure, helpful standard work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it was more, you know, I try to, you know, in that book and it was, gosh, it's been nine plus years now. Mm -hmm. So it's been, I'm looking, looking at a plaque on the wall, (laughs) eight eight years, (laughs) been over eight years. And I'm sure like you, you know, after a period of time, you're like, you know, I'd like to maybe adjust some of that. So some of my thinking has matured. Um, so I think oh, yeah. there, there's a need for some adjustment there. But I would say still, I wanted to approach it more from the thinking and the application. Yeah. And, you know, it yeah. was decidedly, it was specific for Kaizen events. It also incorporated some of the notion of the stuff that I just talked about, you know, around uh, daily Kaizen. But it was really, mm-hmm. you know, how do you make your, your Kaizen events more effective and, you know, actually responding to to need and not just kind of pushing pushing the kaizen event but it's really around the thinking we want to apply Mm -hmm. uh, you know relative to strategy relative to you know approach and use and engagement and work strategies within the within the kaizen event and so on and so forth and to your point every event is different you could be Mm -hmm. in the same event with the same team the same scope and it's a week later and people are just, you know, their biorhythms are different. It, <laughs> every, everything can change. Um, so, you know, and I certainly, 
I certainly learned that when I first started following my sensei, right? My teacher, I took notes on everything. All right. So he started, he, he wrote this on the flip chart. He wrote this on the whiteboard. He used this overhead acetate, the old fashioned overheads. All right. Yeah. Like, yeah. This is the way you must do it. Mm-hmm. And then the next event, he did something totally different. I'm like, Whoa, <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. And I finally realized it's just not, it's not a cookbook. He's following the right. principles. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and I think as with a lot of things like, you know, in, in healthcare, you can have checklists, you can have standardized work that provides helpful structure, but it does, it does not, as you're saying, you know, with the Kaizen event, it doesn't eliminate the role for judgment, thinking, adaptation, um, but we don't need to reinvent the wheel each time around either, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and that was kind of the, the impetus for that book, you know. I didn't want, I, you know, as I went through kind of that discovery, I felt, well, maybe I can help people, you know, at least shorten that, that period of discussion, uh, discovery and, and get to more effective events uh, more quickly because it's yeah. really, it's really around the thinking. Yeah. Really and so may, Oh, I'm sorry. It's, nope. it's thinking. It's, uh, and, and before we get to um, the math, I mean, there, there's this tempting follow-up question. Um, you know, you, you talked about that other book from eight years ago. It's really hard to do continuous improvement on a printed book. It is what it is. <laughs> if you were to do a second edition, I mean, can you maybe share one example? You said some of your thinking has, has changed. You, you continue practicing and learning. Is there something that comes to mind that you would uh, in a yeah, second edition? You know, I, I think it would be less so on the Kaizen event itself and more so I think I would put – greater emphasis and specificity around the daily Kaizen aspect. Because even though it's, hey, you got to be applying this, this, you know, the Kaizen event, I don't want to have anybody facilitating, leading, participating in a Kaizen event without the proper context and understanding of how, you know, Kaizen as a whole really fits in uh, to to the company's strategy and the, and the capability development. So I think, I think I'd, I'd spend a little bit more time around, you know, that, that notion of how and when and where uh, the daily Kaizen fits in and how you can take the same kind of PDCA and SDCA thinking that you applied in the Kaizen event and really apply that, you know, whether it's in the smallest suggestion for continuous improvement or the, or the quality circle, um, that, uh, you know, club team is, is applying. That's, yeah. that's kind of, that's probably more where I'd go. And, you know, and then there's also some, you know, old data and, you know, references to, you know, stuff that happened in the yeah. nine <laughs> yeah. or early two thousands or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and he mentioned it, yeah. And tell some, you know, some of the lineage of, of where, your education and lean comes from um, a lot of people outside of Toyota. I've, I've saw some Toyota materials again the other day that talk about, as you just said, both PDCA and SDCA. And if a lot of people don't talk about SDCA of standardized do check act, what can right. you, for listeners who might not be familiar with that, can could you sort of compare or give an example? Sure. Sure. So PDCA is plan do, Act, uh, plan to check act or adjust, plan to mm-hmm. check adjust. So, yeah. most folks are uh, familiar with that. STCA just changed the P to S and it stands for standardize. 
Um, and many people have heard, you know, Taiichi Ono's quote, or at least the quote that's attributed to him, that there is no Kaizen without standard work, which I think kind of appropriated from Henry Ford, uh, more or less. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, the notion is you have to have standards um, as your foundation to build upon. So if you go into a particular process and there is no standard, it's the Wild West, you really, in many, in many ways, you have to start with standardization. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I, I don't want people to overthink it. You know, it's kind of like the argument of, you know, what's problem solving versus continuous improvement, you know, and we can get kind of specific into what the difference is, but I don't want people to get too excited about it, but we need to understand the importance of that. And then especially when we get into the check of SDCA or the C of SDCA and the relevance of that, certainly from a lean management system and the leader's role of checking, checking for the existence of standards, checking for adherence to the standard and checking for the sufficiency or checking the sufficiency of the standard. Mm -hmm. And what I mean mm -hmm. by sufficiency, I mean, you know, is the standard, is the standard work sufficient that if someone follows it, it will actually yield the desired outcomes relative to quality and cycle time and standard work and process and that type of stuff. So when I'm doing my, you know, my gimbal walk as a leader, I'm checking for that stuff. You know, I'm referencing right. gimbal walk leader standard work. And then what's also kind of interesting, I'm doing SDCA on my vehicle for SDCA. <laughs> cryptic, but as, a, as leaders, we should be checking our own leader standard work to make sure that we're adhering to it, that it's sufficient, you yeah. know, and, and so forth. So if, for example, if we haven't updated our gimbal walk leader standard work or our standard work for pre preparing for and facilitating delivering huddle meetings or doing one-on-ones, then we probably, <laughs> we're yeah. probably not doing our job. Right. Well, we need to practice what we preach. We can Kaizen our approach to Kaizen. We can uh, do a, maybe a Kaizen event on better Kaizen event planning and maybe, you know, getting now into the topic of math, you know, uh, my book measures of success, which has math in it. I have a process behavior chart that plots the daily book sales of my book about process behavior charts. You know, if I wasn't doing that, <laughs> I wouldn't be practicing what I'm preaching because that's a useful tool to, uh, I, I, it reminds myself to not get overly inquisitive about every up and down in the data. Like the number of sales is just going to fluctuate. Yep. And, yep. Uh, it's brilliant. Yeah. yeah that, that math um, can be helpful. And, and Toyota uses that method and uh, Toyota uses math. Right, so maybe to transition to your book, Lean Math, you talked a minute ago about you know evaluating. How do we evaluate if a kaizen event is successful? Well, there is probably going to be some math involved. You know, you talked about mm -hmm. the math of cycle times and um, job cycles, and um, you know, I, I get frustrated sometimes when I hear people uh, framing Lean Sigma, and they'll they'll say things that I think are either kind of sloppy or incorrect. They'll say, I've literally heard people say that, oh, well, Lean is, you know, Lean is good for qualitative improvement. And right. they imply yeah. that only Six Sigma involves measurement. And you've written a whole book about Lean Math, so I'll let you make the case. What's the, <laughs> what's the role of math uh, in Lean? Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's an excellent question. And, and uh, 
you know, as we were, as we were chatting before we, we started this broadcast, um, you know, it's been about a year since I finished the book with my co-author. My co-author is uh, Michael O'Connor, who's a, who has a PhD in physics. Um, wow. My idea, you know, for this book started, I don't know, five or six years ago plus, And I'm thinking, wow, that field book was really hard to write. So I'm going to write something simple. I'm going to just do, you know, stuff on math. And then (laughs) (laughs) then it was like, uh, all right, I've just started a war in Vietnam and I don't know how to get out of this. And uh, anyway, you know, I I looked at it and said, you know, I should probably have some Six Sigma oriented stuff. And I'm not smart enough to write that. So I'm going to go get a really, you know, I'm, I'm, I grew up in Massachusetts. I'm going to go get a wicked smart guy, uh, <laughs> uh, Dr. O'Connor, or Dr. Mike, and he wrote most of the Six Sigma stuff. Um, and, and just just a little aside too. My my undergrad is is math. I've got a BS in math, oh. and I was probably I was probably the worst math major ever. <laughs> really, my my focus was more on baseball and and other things. And you know I was lightly scouted by the Dodgers, but it didn't work out. So then I had to get a job. Um, yeah. And I'm probably the last guy ever that, you know, anyone would ever think would write a math book. So let me just put, put it that way. Yeah. Um, but kind of similar to the field book, it was like, you know, it is, I don't want people to waste time trying to figure out kind of the basics. I'd rather have them elevate more to focus on the principles and the systems um, and not have to, like me, have to, you know, I found myself reinventing the wheel for doing, for example, uh, Kanban sizing. And oh, by the way, the math around Kanban sizing yeah. can be really, really extensive. Um, same, you know, same thing for the other types of pull systems, you know, sequential pull. Uh, yeah. Specifically. Um, so that was really kind of the impetus there. And I noticed that you know, if you if you take a look at, you know, the, the books that are out there, there might be a little bit of math in there. They certainly referenced it or it was oversimplified. You know, mm-hmm. every time calculation turned out to be 60 seconds. <laughs> Inventory turns were always, you know, 5.0 or whatever it may be. You know, pitch was this, so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, there was no one reference to go after, uh, go to. So that was really the the impetus for this and knowing that you know if you don't have good math you know if we go back to my comment about whatever 1998 or one of the heck uh, uh learning to see came out there's math in that right yeah you had to figure out a bunch of stuff you had to figure out you know average daily demand you had to figure out tack time you had to figure out processing time you know queue time total lead time um i don't know if they actually called you know had process cycle efficiency. But anyway, um, that was at least implicit in that. And, you know, when you have scenarios where people are not, you know, they're just doing the qualitative stuff, hey, I got a map, but there's no math on it. And we actually, you know, use roll throughput yield on there as well. Um, and it's really hard to figure out what the gap is, right? So you've, you've got to essentially determine what your target condition is. Hey, I want to be you know, I want to have a lead time of X in nine months, right? And I want to, you know, I want to make sure it will meet the demand requirements, uh, meaning, you know, specifically tack time. And these are, you know, as we talk about this, this is really, these are design parameters for the new system and the new underlying processes. And if we don't have that, 
you know, it's, uh, we're just guessing. Yeah. And, and, and that's kind of, you know, in a simplistic way, that's kind of the notion of, of math and, and how you apply that. Um, there's a, there's a, <laughs> I, can, I can give you an overview of each of the 10 chapters and what kind of stuff is in there because it's 444 pages of math, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and I know this is like a total geek fest, but you're, you're ready for me to just kind of zip through the chat? Yeah, chapter? I mean, hey, go for it. I think people are listening because they're into this, so. <laughs> All right, you guys, yeah, you guys are, you guys are geeky um, in a good way. So yeah. chapter one is really around systems. Wait, 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 I'm sorry. When, when, the, when the math major calls you geeky, I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, saw, I told you I wasn't a good math major. Well, like, right. <laughs> sorry, sorry to interrupt you. So yeah, uh, the, the book is, it contains, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. The lean math book contains chapter one, systems oriented math. So what are we talking about that? This is the stuff that kind of gives you the big picture, right? So understanding the systems and the interdependencies. So things like value stream analysis math, which I just kind of touched upon. Little's law, which talks about the relationship between you know, lead time and throughput and work in process. process. Process mapping math. So these are you know, demand segmentation, that type of stuff. These are the things that are gonna give you insight into how to attack the improvement of a, of a system, of a value stream, and ultimately of a business. Uh, chapter two is time. So <laughs> I thought this one was going to be a small chapter. It's not. So yeah. you know, obviously there's things like tack time, cycle time, processing time, peak time, lead time, and everything in between, you know, um, weighted average cycle time, common unit tack time, actual tack time, um, so on and so forth. And then chapter three is the illities. It's the title sort of applies. So anything around availability, reliability, stability, capability, hmm. variability, I'm guessing. Quality, which is not an ability, but you guys get it. So <laughs> things like operational availability, meantime, uh, between failure, overall equipment effectiveness, run charts, and process capabilities. Um, chapter four is about work. Um, and that covers things really about, you know, the systems are giving you insight into how effectively resources process and do their work. So things like capacity and throughput and utilization and productivity and efficiency, and also things like optimal staffing, work content variation, bottleneck rate, and process cycle efficiency. Chapter five is inventory, and that one's pretty, pretty huge. So it's really talking about the, you know, the biggest, one of the big measures, measurements of uh, leanness is, is how, you know, your inventory and the velocity of that. So we talked largely about pull systems, you know, supermarket pull or Kanban as well as sequential pull, AKA FIFO lanes. Talk about intervals and inventory and inventory management and all that kind of stuff. And then chapter six gets into performance uh, metrics and if you want to have, you know, a really big uh, view on that, you certainly get Mark's book on measures of success. Uh, but we get into kind of the true north metrics and get mm -hmm. into the notion of quality delivery costs, you know, um, delivery. And not certainly not the entire universe of metrics, but some, some example ones. And it also introduces some of the thinking around, you know, how do I discern variation? Those, 
you know, we take all our time setting up these, uh, you know, huddle boards and stuff. And then people right. look at it and go, hey, I see these two dots. And when I connect these dots, the slope is, you know, <laughs> it's, it's negative or whatever. So the trend must be going downward. Uh, well, no, that's not really a trend. The, the, the <laughs> linear trend lines can be incredibly misleading. Even when you have more than two data points. Exactly. Exactly. So we get into things like, you know, an example of um, – or examples of uh, metric profiles, which are basically standard work for your metrics. Chapter seven, basic math and hypotheses. So we get into hypothesis testing and t-test, linear regressions, the stuff that Dr. Mike can do and I can't. Uh, chapter eight is measurements, all right? So um, we're talking about uh, kind of things around measurement system validation and the like. Chapter nine is experimentation. So we're talking about things like DOEs, the, the stuff you learned when you went for a green belt or a black belt and perhaps don't remember. Um, it's, it's still, when appropriate, is extremely powerful stuff. And then chapter 10 is just a bunch of other miscellaneous stuff. Yeah. So yeah. multi-voting and pick chart math and, and that type of stuff. In other words, this is the chapter where we weren't sure, you know, it didn't seem to fit in the other chapters. Yeah. Um, what can you talk a little more about pick chart math? I, I, I see the page here and I think of a pick chart, you know, people, these have been really common, popular in healthcare on huddle boards. I don't, I don't think of that involving math. I think of like, you know, people are moving post-it notes or cards around in those different quadrants. Where, where does, uh, what's an example of the math that's involved? Yeah. So, you know, quite honestly, usually when I use pick charts, it's, uh, there is no math. It's more just kind of a qualitative discussion. You know, it's, uh, you know, two axis graph and with, you know, broken into four quadrants and the Y axis is typically impact. And that impact relates to typically the, you know, the Kaizen event targets that we're trying to achieve or, or whatever the results are that we're trying to achieve. And then the X axis is timing. And obviously, you know, the stuff we want to focus on, oh, by the way, PIC stands for, you know, pass, implement, consider, and the K Politically incorrectly is kill, right? Um, Sometimes so, people say kibosh. <laughs> kibosh. I can't spell kibosh, so I can yeah. spell. It. Um, anyway, so obviously want to focus on the stuff that's going to have high impact and low low effort or quick timing. So there's just a way, you know, you can use kind of a Kemper Trago weighting metric matrix, if you will, uh, which is gives you insight into, you know, degree of difficulty as well as um, kind of improvement um, leverage or impact. So just, you know, throwing some, some numbers at it. And the value is more so around the conversation of the team to, to kind of figure out what the values are. Because one person's idea of impact might be very different from another person's idea of impact. Yeah, so you, I, I agree. Yeah, that discussion um, may lead to sometimes quantifying opinions. I think that's low impact. I think that's high effort. You know, if you look at something like failure mode effects analysis or FMEA, there's the math is simple. You take these different factors, you multiply them and, oh, here's a clear, clear priority. But uh, I guess those, uh, those quantified opinions might be incorrect. Um, So it's just because there's a, I don't know if you would agree or if you have a story on this idea that just because there's numbers there, doesn't necessarily mean it's a fact. It could be just an opinion, right? 
Right, right. Yeah, and certainly, you know, something as simple as, as tack time, right? Okay, so it's quick, right? You know, I've got available time for the period divided by demand for the period, same period, you know? So people run through and they get the math. Okay, that's what it is. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> this is really, a, a, the, in many ways, you know, the, the biggest or one of the biggest design parameters for your process, for your system. So let's, let's talk about that. What do you mean by demand? Well, that's the demand that, you know, that's the demand that would have been satisfying. Okay, so that's customer demand. Well, <laughs> well yeah. we actually, you know, turn away a lot of customers. Oh, yeah. we don't have any capacity, or you know, whatever. Or, <laughs> okay, that's big, well, that's a big difference. That. What's your unconstrained demand? Oh, the unconstrained demand. Yeah. Well, these are these are important uh, conversations to have, and you know, so within the book, we you know, we we talk about those types of things. We try to get at the underlying principles, the why, why this stuff's important, not just you know, here's the math. Where where does this fit into the overall you know? systems or, or, you know, the, the, the principles of lean, why should I care about this type of stuff? When should yeah. I apply this? Um, you know, and unfortunately people just kind of go on autopilot. So for example, you know, we are taking a look at, uh, you know, factor of safety for Kanban sizing. And I see somebody using 1.2 all the time. Well, how'd you, how'd you get that number? You know, is it based upon, uh, you know, demand variation or, you know, instability in your own process. He's like, no, I actually just pulled this off of a slide that the example uh, 1.2. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's opportunities to do some right thinking. And oh, by the way, because we're always going to be doing our check as part of PDCA, we're going to experiment and we're going to learn and we're going to make adjustments, but I'd rather have the first there, you know, your first round to be actually based upon some, some decent math. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and yeah. one thing, go ahead. Sorry, Mark. Well, I was going to say, um, maybe along the lines of, you know, uh, PDCA shouldn't give license to uh, poor inexistent planning because, oh, well, we can always check and adjust. Right. There's a, right. There's a fine line there, right? We can do the math and come up with a, uh, maybe a more valid first pass on the Kanban sizing, but then the real world gets in the way and we may realize, you know, we need to uh, tweak the safety stock um, because of some maybe unexpected factor. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and you apply something, so there's math in there that shows how you do a stock out analysis using historical data. So you can, you can see where the system will break at least based upon historical uh, stuff. And then obviously going forward, you're all, you know, you're always going to have to monitor just like anything, you know, dynamics, you know, in the, the business, um, you know, changing demand, changing performance levels of internal suppliers or external suppliers or, or whatever are going to get in the way, which is why it's so important for people to learn how to think so that they can, they can respond, they can react appropriately, they can anticipate. And so, so if I can, Mark, I just wanted to say one thing too about, yep. You know, you know, kind of the experience of, of writing this book, because it was, uh -huh. I'll be honest with you, it was extremely painful. It just, <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I mean and, well, well, looking at it, I mean, there are tons of formulas and graphs and figures. And I mean, there's a lot going on here, which makes it very difficult to produce, right? Or what, what, what was, what was difficult for you? I'm sorry. Well, yeah, you know, it was, it was really trying to, do research because you don't want to be wrong, right? Not finding much out there, 
Um, going back, you know, using my own experience, what's worked, what hasn't worked. And then also figuring out how to explain this graphically and also formulaically and also using, you know, examples. So by the way, we've got three different, you know, kind of semi-threaded case studies throughout the, throughout the book. We've got one for a manufacturer, one for a healthcare provider, and one for an insurance company because hopefully everybody's applying lean, you know, in every yeah. industry. Um, but, you know, that, that was really hard. You know, for example, how do, how do we portray time and how those things relate? So there's, you know, a schematic, for example, you know, that kind of shows the relationships uh, between queue time and cycle time and lead time and tag time and processing time and pitch and value creating time, you know, and then, oh, by the way, a schematic or, a, a, you know, a, a figure that shows the relationship between cycle time and operator cycle time and effective machine cycle time and machine cycle time and plan cycle time, you know, people need to be able to kind of comprehend how these things tie together rather than just take them as discrete things. Um, so that, that was challenging. There was definitely some upsides though. So I was exposed to some really good stuff in the research and, you know, an example of that, you know, as I was working on, you know, bottlenecks, um, I came upon Christoph Roser. I don't know if you, you know him, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I've read a couple of things that he's written and we've gone back and forth about hopefully doing a podcast together. Yeah. So, you know, I think his uh, website is all about lean and he recently wrote a book on the, whatever the history, history of, I think a history of lean or history of manufacturing. Maybe that's what it is. Anyway. Um, I bought it. I haven't had the opportunity to go through it, but he has some great stuff, you know, uh, on bottlenecks and, uh, you know, including the bottleneck walk, which I think is brilliant in its simplicity and, and its accuracy. Um, so, you know, he talks about, Hey, if, you know, depending upon the situation of if your process is starved, meaning you don't have any inventory coming into that process. Right. Um, Tampering the flow. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, it dried up, right? Or it's close to being dried up. Um, and then we get into FIFO, mins and maxes and all that kind of stuff. But that's, that's for another time. But, uh, you know, whether it's patience or, you know, parts or whatever it may be, you know, and he's, he talks about, hey, you know, in the bottleneck walk, I should be going, if I'm starved, where should I go? Well, I should be walking upstream because that's the, that's what's starving me. Something upstream might be, you know, well, definitely should be the one causing the problem typically. Right. And he, he really kind of has this judgment, which is pretty simple. I'm not going to spend a lot of time getting into it, but, you know, in terms of inventory status. And, you know, if you've got something rather empty, um, that would be, you know, kind of, I'm probably messing this up because it's been a while since I've taken a look at it, but rather empty would be an indicator that you're being starved. And what is rather empty? Well, it's, you know, you're below a third of your, um, of your max level within the flight phone lane. So anyway, I'm sure he can describe it a heck of a lot better. I haven't looked at it in months, but there was a, you know, and, and the same type of thing gets into what if your process is blocked, you know, well, I'm going to go mm -hmm. downstream because I can't move my inventory because if I'm really following, you know, say a FIFO lane max, I can't, I can't move anymore. Yeah. Well, let's go investigate that. You know, simple yet, you know, 
and brilliant, which are the, the best combinations, I think. So <laughs> right. there's, some, there's some good stuff there. Um, and he would be able to explain it accurately and more eloquently than, than, than I can, for sure. No, no, but you've, you've explained, I think, things eloquently here uh, in the podcast today. And I appreciate that. Uh, we, at least, you, you know, you weren't trying to uh, spell out a formula with words. You know, the, uh, well, the, the, uh, the whip, whip sub Q equals sigma from N equals one to N equal infinity of no. Okay. But, you know, that is there. I am reading. I see that's terrible to read that. Out loud from the book. Yeah, uh, but it's going to bite now, Mark. Thanks. Oh no, no. But um, there are uh, there are good stories in here, and you know that's why you know I, I was happy to write a blurb uh, from the book. There are the uh, the Gemba tales, which is a, a term comes back uh, uh, to your blog of that name. And oh, okay, here here's one that will get someone to buy the book and read. Page one thirty. Superficial SPC. <laughs> I'm going to dive into um, that one there. So, you know, there's the risk of any of these great lean methods uh, applied superficially might not um, have the desired or expected outcome. So, um, Mark, if, if you want to mention, um, uh, you know, for as we wrap up here, where, where people can buy the book, where they can learn more about you online, um, Gemba Tales blog, you, you're still... Are you still doing that? I hate that. No. Yeah, it's still, it's, it's, I would put that in the dormant phase. Okay. <laughs> stage. And well, then there's Gem GemmaTales.com. Yeah. And then there's LeanMath.com, uh, which is the, well, obviously oriented towards lean math. That, that ain't exactly uh, active, although it still gets a ton of hits because there's uh, some, some free stuff there. And hopefully I'll resurrect that in the near future. And then, uh, Certainly, uh, themurleygroup.com. Um, you know, I'm, that's uh, that's my company with uh, my business partner uh, Joe Murley. And um, then, you know, I've been a faculty member at, at Lean Enterprise Institute for oh six plus years. My my bio's on that as well. So, and then certainly there's LinkedIn. Find you on LinkedIn, and uh, I'm going to ask you to give. Uh, a reminder, I was about to say, give Joe a hard time. We have talked for a number of years about um, having him do a podcast and schedules and different things get in the way. So uh, we got to try to make that happen, but you, you beat him to it. You can, yeah. you can hold I'm that. Going to, he's going to listen to this. So Joe, talk to <laughs> Joe. <laughs> Come on the podcast, Joe. Love you, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, so sorry. The uh, So the book Lean Math is uh, published by SME. So you can get it at SME.org or go to Amazon. And same, same thing with the Kaizen Event Field book. And also, right. I should say, there's electronic versions, which are um, pretty darn searchable. So if you don't want to be running around with a 444-page hardcover book. <laughs> I said here, I was doing some uh, <laughs> arm presses with it while I've been talking to Mark. <laughs> Yeah, you're 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 looking pumped up. <laughs> it is a lot of book for the money, so yeah. so <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of value there. Consider the electronic version. <laughs> anyway, so all right. Well, uh, again, our our guest has been uh, Mark Hamill, author of uh, the books the Kaizen Event Field Book and Lean Math. Um, subtitle here: Figuring to Improve. That's uh, I think a good goal. 
and uh, something that book is really going to help people with. So Mark, thank you again uh, for taking time to talk with us today. Mark, my pleasure. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.